Welcome to You Are Not Broken, the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Casperson. I'm multitasking. Okay, so you need to know that I'm a mom, and I have a short period of time. I literally have like a sick kid that's in bed. I'm on call because my day job is me being a surgeon. So I am multi-freaking-tasking. I am recording this as a podcast. So hello if you're listening to it as a podcast. I'm going live on Instagram right now. And what I'm doing today is I'm actually going over a PowerPoint presentation that you guys can't see when you're on the podcast or the Instagram. But this PowerPoint presentation is actually for a conference, a virtual conference that is coming up in August called Physician Moms Group or PMG Conference. So there's this huge organization for doctors who are mothers called Physician Moms Group. It's like 80,000 on Facebook and it's amazing. And I'm going to be a presenter and the topic of my presentation is, of course, you are not broken. Stop shitting all over your sex life, which is also the name of the book that is coming out right now, mid-December is when it's coming out. So I just had a super fun thing I got to do for the book this yesterday is I sent out to like friends and experts requesting them to do blurbs which are like the things I'm looking for a book around me right now blurbs are like the little like the quotes that are on the back or the front of books so I just sent out my request for blurbs um, yesterday and two people have already said yes which is super awesome so that's fun. Um, the cover art is getting finalized which is super awesome. I was super inspired by Glennon Doyle's um, bright, catchy, kind of modern, splashy. I wanted it to be feminist, like female oriented, but not like, it was like no flowers, no lilies. There's too many sex books for women that are like mauve colored with like lilies on them. And I'm like, that's not what I want it to be like bright, attractive, catchy. So anyways, the cover art is almost done, which is super cool. Special props to my dad who worked in the printing industry his whole career and gave me some feedback on the font <laughs> of the wording, which is awesome. The other thing I wanted to tell you guys about is, do you remember when I went live with Cat and Nat? Cat and Nat are awesome. They're the moms from Canada and they're super big and they are doing something. There's this new platform called Bright. It's actually created or invested by Ashton Kutcher. And you basically, it's like a live event, but you like pay to have a ticket. So like you pay $30 to talk to Cat and Nat at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on X date or something. But so it's from your house, but you, it's like a intimate more um, back and forth. So point being, that's what Bright is. Do I sound like a Gen X person trying to explain new technology? Sorry. Um, I'm going live with Cat and Nat right now, preliminarily August 17th. That's a Tuesday. I think it's going to be 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. Um, and we're going to talk about sex, which is awesome. So what I'm going to do today is I have to I have to pre-record my lecture for Physician Moms Group. So I'm going to pull up my PowerPoint. Sorry that you can't see it, but I'm going to talk to you guys about it. And I'm going to like kind of time it. It's supposed to be a 25 minute talk. And I just find it's so much more natural to like talk in front of people than to like pre-record looking into the camera of your computer. So I'm going to like do the rundown with you guys because why wouldn't you want to hear what I want to tell the physician moms at this group on you are not broken and stop shooting all over your sex life. So I'm going to pull up my notes. So and note the time. Okay, here we go.
10 to 9. There we go. Okay, so who am I? I am Dr. Kasperson. I'm a urologist. Uh, that's my full-time day job as a practicing urologist. I got into sex medicine oh, probably like three or four years ago. Uh, I've been out of residency now for about nine years. Got into it because I had a patient who was crying in my office complaining of absolutely no interest in having sex with her husband. Like, irreparably felt very broken about it. Great marriage. Loved the marriage, um, loved her husband very much, but just had no sexual desire, felt very broken about it. And I had no idea how to help her. And like, that was my aha of like, I knew how to cure her bladder cancer, but I did not know how to help her with this much more seemingly important problem now that her bladder cancer was cured. So then I went a deep dive because of her. So like all of this is thanks to that amazing patient. So deep dive into sex med. I've read all the books. I started going to the conferences. Ishwish Conference is an amazing international society for study of women's sexual health. For anybody who's interested, it's a great group of physical therapists, psychologists, gynecologists, primary care doctors, nurse practitioners, everybody who wants to learn about female sexual health because nobody actually got taught this in any school. Um, the other thing that's super annoying Annoying is the downplayed word for it is that there are gynecologists that are getting kicked off of Instagram for saying the word vagina. And it's like, you can't expect women to be okay with their body parts when saying the body parts is prohibited. It's against terms and conditions to say body parts. And it's like, no wonder why there's so much shame lack of knowledge of how things work, not knowing how to communicate about body parts if you can't literally talk about the body parts in social media. So props to the people who are trying to educate. Ishwish is the formal um, thing for providers. So why should we care about orgasms and sexual function, right? So doctors should care, there should again, but they should care about your life, your sleep, your exercise, how well you eat, how you manage your stress. Sex comes in that a healthy sexuality, a healthy sexual relationship, comfort with your body and being able to communicate that in a relationship is very, very important. Uh, so that's why we should care because sex is self-care. And in addition, the ability for women to be comfortable talking about this and to embrace their sexuality really is a quality. We know that in heterosexual relationships, men have more orgasms, women have less orgasms, women have tend, tend to stereotypically have the lower desire or be dissatisfied with their sex life. So really talking about this, educating people about female sexual health is a quality. So we should enjoy sex just as much as our partners and have no difference in that if one happens to be a man and one happens to be a woman. So that's why we care. So I was reading this book by Daniel Kahneman, who is a Nobel Prize winning, I think he's a psychologist, but he won the Nobel Prize in uh, economics. And he was basically talking how like equations and people who can like figure out equations, they tend to be really successful in predicting things, even though we don't think they are. Like we think our natural like inclination is in, intelligence is better than these equations. And he brought up an equation that I actually looked up, posted this in my Instagram stories a while ago. And the equation is sex. In a, it was, this was looking in married couples. This this was actually done in the seventies. So in in a married couple is what the research was. They looked at happy, happily married couples, unhappily married couples, the amount of sex they were having, the amount of fights they were having, and they came up with this very simple equation. And the simple equation is sex minus fighting 
equals satisfied marriage. And you don't want your number to be a negative number. And what they did is they looked at the happy happy couples. They found out they were having more sex than they were having fights. They, and then they looked at the unhappy couple, found out they were having more fights than they were having sex. So this doesn't mean telling fighting people to have more sex. It just means like the simple, simple equation that they found out was sex minus fights, fights equals happy marriage. So there you go, for what it's worth. That came around in the 70s. So certainly sex is important least in that equation. So what we don't get taught is that female, the female pelvis has incredibly similar anatomy to the male pelvis. We all start out embryologically the same and then hormones and genes turn on or turn off things that make these exact similar body parts either turn into male body parts or typically female or vulva body parts. That language can get confusing because we do have some females who have male body parts and some people are born with um, body parts that aren't kind of stereotypically male or female. So there's always nuances to everything. Um, and I'm sorry if I offend anybody on being way too stereotypical, but what we can say is in general, we all start out the exact same and typically we either form penis scrotum or we form vulva vagina clitoris. So what we get taught in our textbooks is the male body part. Now in all fairness, the penis has three jobs. I know if anybody who's heard me has heard me talk about this, the penis has to urinate, it has to put sperm into somebody else to reproduce. And in addition, it is the organ of pleasure for men. So the penis has three jobs, but if you actually look and I have props out to Jessica Pinn, who is really the driving force behind changing textbooks in in the world right now is she's like looked at all these textbooks and saw like how many words are used to describe the male genitalia versus words used to describe the female genitalia and the clitoris and the vulva and the labia is by and large completely ignored a female pelvis really is described by the internal structures which is vagina uterus ovaries so Female organs are neglected in education about our bodies, both in medical school and outside of medical school. But we all start the same. We all have the same body parts. So it makes sense to say if the penis is the sexual organ in the male, the homolog in the female is the clitoris. Now we don't think this because we don't get taught this. We think it's penis and vagina because penis and vagina is the heterosexual paradigm that we've been taught. We've been taught that sex is penis and vagina. Well, what happens when we ignore the pleasure organ of the women is we have women who have less pleasure. If you're having less pleasure, you don't want to do it as much, right? Give me something that I don't really like doing and I'm not going to want to do it much. If you ignore that, don't ignore it. So part of this is just learning what the equivalent structures are and saying just because heterosexual sex is penis and vagina, that's not going to work for everybody. We know the data says 11% of women will have an orgasm with penis and vagina penetration. The ones that do stereotypically are getting clitoral stimulation while they're having penetration. We can get into the nitty gritty of it if you want to. Yes, some women do have what they call vaginal orgasms, but they still believe it's stimulating the nerves and the erectile tissue of the clitoris. The vagina itself doesn't have erectile tissue. Erectile tissue is around the labia, in the posterior perineum and clitoris and the clitoral bodies and glands. So there you go. We all start out the exact same. Uh, the heterosexual paradigm. So the heterosexual paradigm is that sex is penis and vagina. This is incredibly short serving to the women 
because women stereotypically don't have orgasms with penetration of their vagina. You have to use, it's like saying to a man that I'm going to touch your scrotum and wonder why you don't have an orgasm. It's because it's not your main organ of pleasure. So that's the heterosexual paradigm is we're not taught about the females. And then what we, this is what we do. We then blame the female for not having desire, not having an orgasm. We make it her fault. We give nobody an education, then we make it her fault. What we do know is we have an orgasm gap in the heterosexual relationship. So if you look at all the people who sleep with all the people, the heterosexual, so vulva with penis owners, that's the biggest gap in orgasm. The penis owner has an orgasm about 90% of the time and the vulva owner has an orgasm about 60% of the time in that relationship. So we know there's a pleasure gap, I think mostly due to poor education, poor interest in female pleasure. When women sleep with each other, lesbians, they have higher orgasms and it tend to be more equal. When men sleep together, again, higher level of orgasms and they tend to be more equal. So who gets the short shift in all of this? Short shift, short shift heterosexual women. Darn it. So these are the things that I want people to know as far as stop shooting all over your sex life. Women need, stereotypically again, here we go stereotypically, but women need foreplay. We are not on and off switches. We tend to be a little more, you know, uh, slower to warm up, right? Especially when you're coming home, you've got a job, you've got stuff to do at the house, the kids' lunches need to be packed, you've got to do laundry, the kids just went to bed, they're puking which is happening in my house today, right? And to switch from that stress response and that frontal brain thinking back to myself, the present, my body, what's my body feeling, openness to accepting sexual activity. We literally, it takes a little bit to do that, right? We're not light switches. It doesn't mean we're broken. That's just how our body works, right? So foreplay is everything and everything is foreplay, meaning what we do in our relationship when we're not in the bedroom is very important. How we treat each other, how we acknowledge each other, how we love each other, how we touch each other, how we talk to each other. That is all foreplay for women. You can't ignore that part of the relationship and expect to be hot and steamy in the bedroom. It doesn't work. It's how we keep romance alive also in long-term relationships is you literally have to cultivate that. We don't get taught that. We just think we should be like hot and heavy all the time when the data and the dopamine actually say after about six to 18 months, that kind of addictive early love is gone. It's a consequence of long-term, right? Long-term couples is that that kind of dopamine newness, what's new, when's it going to happen, when are we going to have sex, it goes away. Esther Perel is absolutely the boss of talking about this. Mating in captivity is an absolute must for anybody in a long-term relationship who thinks that maybe their kind of their desire has gone away, right? She says it's like the trade-off desire and like being desire and being like comfortable, right? In that long-term relationship is just a trade-off. You lose your newness, you lose your eroticism, you lose kind of the what's going to happen because you know what's going to happen. You live with them, right? All right. So and the other thing about orgasms in kind of light switchy stuff is orgasms lie in the present. You can't be thinking about the past or the future and expect an orgasm to happen. You have to be in the now. That's where mindfulness comes in. 
and meditation, getting dropping into your body. I love that. I love the saying dropping into your body. Like I can't think of a better way to say that is like getting in there, getting into your pelvis, being in your clitoris, taking your breath, putting it into your pelvis. These techniques work. You have to try them probably more than once, right? If you notice when you're having sex and you get distracted and you start thinking about other things, that's where that kind of that meditation practice really comes in handy because what you do is you learn to acknowledge where that thought is. You bring it back. You bring it back to your pelvis. You bring it back to what's going on, to the touch. Then you say, this isn't working for me. I need to try something else. You use that communication, right? Because if you notice that your mind is wandering, you don't just say like, oh, my mind's wandering, that's it is you can actually practice and bring it back. The So I was reading this book today, they were like, the state of the brain is to wander. That's what it does, the brain makes thoughts, right? And so to actually like, it doesn't mean something's broken with you, it just means you have to bring that thought back to the present to again, get in the body, get into your pelvis, pay attention, to do the breaths, to start saying, yep, the muscles in the pelvis, that's where the orgasm is gonna happen. So paying attention, mindfulness, super helpful. The stress response, of women must be acknowledged. If you're in a stress cycle, or if you're in like a high cortisol life, right? You're always trying to solve things. You've got 10 things on your plate. It's go, 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 high stress. Like work tomorrow is gonna be horrific. If you're living in that stress cycle, just understand that that's not where orgasms live. And learning how to get out of that stress cycle, even for only a short period of time on in the weekends or in the evening, when you say, I'm going to put that all aside because that's not where my pleasure and my orgasms live. So I think so many women, they're in that stress cycle and then they're trying to solve for their low desire. And they're like, what pill can I take? Like they're trying to like solve for the desire and the orgasm the same way the stress cycle is trying to solve for like everything else in their life. And it's like, we have to acknowledge that stress cycle and realize that's not where orgasms live. Okay, so the other thing that is so common is women think that spontaneous desire is number one, the default, and number two, the desirable thing to be obtained, right? And where this comes from a lot is the work of Masters and Johnson and Helen Kaplan and saying that desire came first and then you have excitement and then you have orgasm and then you have uh, res resolution, right? So that's kind of like that the old school or original paradigm which was actually created by looking at heterosexual and homosexual couples in a lab, right? Like they thought desire came first. Like these are people who were willing to go into a lab and have sex in the 1950s. <laughs> like they probably weren't your average people, right? Anyways, so what, the, what those researchers did is they put desire first. And so then what happened is we got taught like desire, you have to have desire first in order to have sex. What we know now, but what I, women, women don't know this, but what sexperts know is that women and men have sex for hundreds of different reasons. I did a podcast a long time ago on like the 237 different reasons that women have sex. And that was looking at some, a group of college students and it was actually more reasons than that. And they just kind of like culminated it down to 237 different reasons. One of those reasons is spontaneous desire to have sex. So 236 other reasons is I want to be close. I want to, it helps me sleep. I like the stress uh, reduction of sex. It feels good because um, I want to, it would be like the only really desire one, right? But all those other reasons are, oh, I want to have a baby, right? 
Uh, I want to be closer to this person. All reasons to have sex that aren't spontaneous desire. So what we need to do as a society is educate women that you don't have to wait for spontaneous desire to come in, especially when you're in that long-term monogamous relationship, which is kind of the trade-off. You throw spontaneous desire out the window after about six to 18 months in a long-term monogamous relationship. Sorry, that's the trade-off for monogamy. Nobody wants to hear that. But it's your brain, you guys. We can't argue with this freaking brain that has lived with us for like 200,000 years. It's 200,000 year old goo up here. Okay, so what uh, what Bassan did, Bassan practices up in Vancouver, Washington, I will have her on the podcast at some point, is she made a different, more female-oriented model of sexual motivation. And she said women have, that women will get intimate first, willingness to have sex, sexual stimuli comes in in the appropriate context, then she has the desire to have sex. So the desire comes during the touching, the kissing, the being, the doing. It's all in there, right? So spontaneous desire is not the default, like, it's not the thing you need, which always gets tricky to say because I never want to tell a woman, like, have sex anyways, even though you don't have spontaneous desire. You have to say that very carefully. But... What Bassan has did in her research was saying most desire for women comes while they're doing it, right? And so many women say like, when I'm doing it, I love it. It's great. I'm having a great time. I just don't want to like spontaneously do it because I worked all day and now I'm on the couch and I'm kind of relaxed and like not thinking sexy thoughts. It's like, start thinking the sexy thoughts, start doing the sexy things, start putting yourself in that context and the desire ar arrives or kind of comes up with it. So going back to the shooting myths, right? So other myths that women are taught is that sex is penis and vagina sex and it starts and stops with the man, right? When he gets an erection, sex can start. When he has an orgasm, sex ends. That is a sexual, heterosexual paradigm that is so broken for women, right? It's also broken for men, especially when erectile dysfunction rears its ugly head, right? If your paradigm of sex is that narrow, you're so broken when something happens that you know, can't accommodate that. If you, they actually did the research. They looked at heteros, heterosexual definition of sex versus homosexual definition of sex. The homosexual or same-sex couple definition of sex was so much broader, right? And sometimes it was just like kissing and being naked. Sometimes it was like holding somebody while that person masturbated. Sometimes it was, you know, all the other things that didn't include vaginas. I won't get into gory details here. You can use your imagination. But they had this very broad definition of sex, which is so much more flexible to people's you know, health and moods and how people orgasm. It's a wonderful thing. Heterosexual definition of sex, very narrow. The other myth about sex is that you should do it a certain number of times a week or something's wrong with you. There's no right number. And I always hesitate to tell people how many times they should have sex because there's no right number. It's what works for you and your partner and your relationship. And it's not the low desire person's job to rise to the high desire person's level. They can have some responsibility for taking care of themselves, meeting in the middle, talking about where that middle is. If the high desire person keeps hounding on the low desire person, like, do you want to have it today? Do you want to have it today? Do you want to have it today? It's very stressful for that person, right? And they just say, no, 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 no. Because too much of a good thing isn't a good thing for some people, 
right? So really having that conversation and being like, Saturday and Tuesdays are great. And then let's be together without the stress. And that's kind of where, you know, ideas for when and if you should schedule sex comes in. So things to think about when you're thinking about talking about this in your relationship. The other thing to talk about is desire mismatch should be fixed. That is a myth. There's nothing wrong with how much you want sex or how much the other person wants sex. Remember, the other thing I want to say about that is if the person, the low desire person, isn't having a good time, isn't having orgasms, isn't having pleasure, isn't being kind of equal in their pleasure, change that first. You might see desire rise up. Women need, stereotypically, women need a lot more variation um, and a lot more kind of options. It's a nice way of saying women get bored, right? But I want to say it in a good way. Like women need creativity. We need novelty. Stereotypically, again, uh, versus the man in a heterosexual relationship. And if you're having freaking boring sex all the time, don't think that the desire is the problem. You can't desire stuff. You, can, you don't desire things that you're bored with. I'm literally like sweating right now. I've got two ring lights on. So I'm, I'm fidgeting because I'm warm. Okay. The other myth, orgasms happen from penetration. We know this isn't true. We have tons of data. It's just that we don't get taught this in sex ed class. We don't get taught this in medical school. We don't get taught this in pre-marriage counseling. Uh, penetration, by and large, is for male pleasure. Now, the, here's the secret, you guys. Women will enjoy penetration once they're already properly aroused. You have to properly arouse the female pelvis. The female pelvis has as much, nearly as much, we're smaller people, nearly as much erectile tissue in it as the penis does. Mic drop. A lot of people don't even know women have erectile tissue. But again, going back to the anatomy of we all started out with similar structures, right? Our erectile tissue surrounds like a horseshoe, the labia, and is the clitoris and the kind of arms of the clitoris that come in wrap around the vagina. So top horseshoe, bottom horseshoe, right? Massage, vibration, all the things. Get the female pelvis ready, then she might want penetration a lot more and really enjoy it a lot more. Also, the vagina prepares itself for penetration because it lengthens and it tilts back a little bit with arousal and blood flow. Also, you need blood flow and nerves going for orgasms. So get the female ready first. Don't just rush to that penis and vagina sex because she's not gonna have as much of a good time. I'd say my saying is like, if it's not an eight on a arousal scale, don't penetrate. There you go. I'm gonna be like the old 80 year old sex therapist someday. And that's what I'm gonna say to all the kids. I'm gonna be like, honey, if it's an eight, don't penetrate. Okay. The other myth, again, just to reiterate, spontaneous desire is not the goal. It's just an option. Some people have spontaneous desire. Some people don't. It is perfectly okay. And the other thing is spontaneous desire being obtained from an outside source. Like there are, there are medications now for hypoactive sexual desire disorder. They work for some people. They think it works by increasing dopamine in the brain. Um, my big worry is that if you don't address all these other things I've talked about and you just take a pill and you don't deal with the stress response or how women have orgasms or desire mismatch or you thinking you're broken with your body image and your ability to have pleasure as a human being who has, is sexual, if you don't address all of that, a pill's not going to help.
right? So that's why I'm like, it's there, it's available, but don't look for spontaneous desire in, in an outside source. So the other thing is don't forget menopause. Don't forget perimenopause. Perimenopause just means before menopause. That's our 40s, women. Average age of, average age of menopause is 51, which means 50% of people have menopause before the age of 51. Menopause, by definition, no periods times 12 months. What happens in menopause is our hormones go down. Conflicting data on if supplemental estrogen, progesterone, or testosterone helps with desire. We think it's probably uh, testosterone as far as desire, as far as supplementing. Uh, our nation has a long way to go before supplementing testosterone in women becomes normal. I'd say it's pretty low at this point. But what we do know is vaginal estrogen is preventative medicine. The vulva and the vagina don't have the hormones because you're not going to be able to reproduce. So the vagina gets narrowed, it gets tight. The kind of elasticity in the vagina, kind of the, what they call the rugae, go away. Sex becomes very painful. Women have decreased ability to lubricate we always need lube and then we need vaginal estrogen. So many women stop having sex because of this. I see women all the time who stopped having sex 10, 15 years ago because of menopause and their issues were never addressed. So it's a freaking health emergency, people. Um, and then lubrication, right? Especially if you do penetration before, your, before that number eight, right? And the other thing is uh, other low estrogen states, breastfeeding. Um, desire can go really low with prolactin. Also the vagina and the vulva get very dry because you are freaking breastfeeding and your body's not trying to reproduce. You can still get pregnant breastfeeding, caution, but by and large, women will say, I have more pain. I have more dryness. I have less desire. I have less ability to uh, lubricate while they're breastfeeding. That will get better once you stop breastfeeding, but lubrication and vaginal estrogen can be very useful. Um, and then the Last part of my talk is just resources for you guys. If you haven't checked out OMGYES, O-M-G-Y-E-S.com, it is also amazing in talking about all the different ways that females orgasm. And it's very research-based. They'll be like, 47% of women had an orgasm this way. 13% had an orgasm this way. So they talk about layering and hinting and signaling and framing and shallowing and pairing and angling and... All, if that makes you curious, check out OMGS. She Comes First is an amazing book geared towards men, uh, geared towards people. I think it will also be great for women who sleep with women. But it's really all about how to turn on the vulva, how to turn on the woman, how to focus outward and then move inward. So many people, this is also very important. So many people treat the female pelvis like the male pelvis, right? Male pelvis is like, grab the penis, go. Don't just go touch the clitoris. Don't just go put something in the vagina. You have to kind of work outward to inward, right? So other body parts, whatever she might like, right? And then work inward towards the genitals because it's like uh, OMG, yes, Y-E-S for uh, wanting to know what that resource is. OMG, yes, like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> OMG, yes is the name of that amazing website. Um, so She Comes First is the book by Ian Kerner. It's an older book now and it's amazing and it's really geared towards people who want to turn on and give orgasms to women. Love it. Next one's called Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. It's, it's basically like the Bible of desire, right? And talking about the brakes and the accelerators. 
of if a woman's walking around with brakes on all the time, right? Like I've got a to-do list. I've got kids that are sick. I've got this big presentation that's due tomorrow. She's walking around with her brakes on. Those are all the social cues that tell her sex is not a good idea right now. What you need to do is figure out what your accelerator is. Like um, my husband cleaning up the kitchen and a foot massage and music for a lot of people and a bubble bath and a all those things. And I'm like, and a massage and a massage and a massage and touching me other than down there first, right? So learning what the accelerators are and learning how to put on the accelerators, take off the brakes to get the woman in a, in a state where she can enjoy arousal and then orgasm. Last book for resources would be Becoming Cliterate by Lori Mintz. She's amazing. She's uh, signed up to be on my podcast later this year, which is going to be awesome. I have to get Ian Kerner on my podcast too. And I have uh, Emily Nagoski's hard to get because she's a big deal now. I cannot wait till somebody says that about me. Casperson's hard to get because she's a big deal now. Someday, you guys. Um, so that is my talk. I just did that in 30 minutes, which means I have to cut five minutes off of that for my presentation. Sorry you didn't see my slides, but you know, it's okay. Do a pretty good job. So I love you guys so much. Thank you for following me and type in all your questions. I will answer it. Oh, here's the other thing is if you go to kellycaspersonmd.com and you sign up, give me your email list, that's how you find out when my live podcast recordings are where I do a lot of questions and answers and I love coaching people because remember, your thoughts and your brain, that's your biggest sex organ. So to find out, and I'm doing one live podcast recording every single month this year, so I haven't announced July's yet, um, probably I mean, not, not this coming week, um, but I haven't discussed July's yet. So go in there, sign up. That's how you get my like one email a month to say what I'm going to do my live podcast recording. And then you can come on and we can chat and you can answer your questions or you can Instagram message me your questions. And I tend to go through a lot of those on my live podcast recording. So I love you guys so much until next time. Remember that you are not broken. My loves. <laughs>